0: Good morning. Thank you for joining us today. I want to welcome you to Memorial Day weekend and I understand that for many of you families you have experienced as you look back in the history of your family that there are those that paid the ultimate price and we want you to know that we are thinking about them and we're so grateful today for the freedoms that have been earned for us through their sacrifice and so I hope that sometime during this weekend, even though the circumstances are different and people are not traveling as much, that you, you stop and, and just think about what this means for so many. I know that there's flowers that are going up in, in so many of the different cemeteries, and we just wanted to take an opportunity to let you know that we're so grateful for the sacrifices that were made for, for us and on behalf of us. This morning, there's a couple of passages of Scripture that I am going to be referring to, and so if you have your Bibles, I'm going to ask that you would take them. The first passage is in the book of Acts chapter 19 that I'm going to be reading, and it's going to provide for us a little bit of context as we return to Ephesians 6 where we started last week. In Acts chapter 19, beginning with verse 11, the scripture says this, God did extraordinary miracles through Paul, so that even handkerchiefs and aprons that had touched him were taken to the sick and their illnesses were cured and the evil spirits left them. Some Jews who went around driving out evil spirits tried to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who were demon-possessed. They would say, in the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches, I command you to come out. Seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish chief priest, were doing this. One day, the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know. And Paul I know about, but who are you? And the man who had the evil spirit jumped on them and overpowered them all. He gave them such a beating that they ran out of the house naked and bleeding. When this became known to the Jews and Greeks living in Ephesus, they were all seized with fear. And the name of the Lord Jesus was held in high honor. Many of those who believed now came and openly confessed what they had done. A number who had practiced sorcery brought their scrolls together and burned them publicly. When they circulated the value of the scrolls, the total came to 50,000 drachmas. In this way, the word of the Lord spread widely and grew in power." And for those of you that joined us last week, I would like you now to turn, if you would, to Ephesians 6 as we return to what we had started last week. And I'm going to be reading verses 10 through 13 of chapter 6 of Ephesians. And it says, Paul speaking to the church at Ephesus, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against authorities, against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground And after you have done everything to stand, stand firm. Heavenly Father, we ask that over these next few moments, that through the help of your Holy Spirit, that you would unlock the truth of your word so that not only would we understand it, but that you would give us the avenues by which that we can apply it in our life. We especially need it in this day and age. To be able to stand strong and be strong and stand firm in you. And so I ask for your help as you speak through my lips. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning we are back again in Ephesians 6 where we began a short series of messages last week titled, The War of Light and Darkness. I want to point out this morning that there are imperatives in the chapter that I just read, two of them in particular, be strong and stand firm. And that is the exhortation of this passage. This is what Paul is speaking to those in Ephesus and to us today. It's important to remind ourselves a little bit of the context and the history of what was taking place here. Paul is writing from jail in the middle of the first century. He is writing to real people Who live in a real place at a real point in time. And the Ephesus to which he writes is the same city that the events of Acts chapter 19 that we just read were taking place in. Paul knows Ephesus well. For two years, he had taught the Bible faithfully there. And when doing so, he was teaching them that the Messiah had to suffer. And had to die. And then Paul would say, the Messiah is none other than the Lord Jesus Christ. In the same way, he also would speak and tell them that Jesus had supernaturally made himself known to Paul and had transformed his life. And Paul said, and we are seeing that same transformation take place in many lives who are now yielding themselves to the Lord Jesus. The city of Ephesus in which he was writing to, was a unique city in the fact that the Jews and the Gentiles dwelled together there. It was a very multicultural city. It was a wealthy city, very cosmopolitan. In fact, in every sense, Ephesus would have been considered a luxurious city. But at the same time, it was a very superstitious city. It was a city that was known for all kind of pagan activities, magic potions, magic spells, magic books. In fact, the Bible refers to some of those that were regularly used there. And this influence of of pagan superstition and the magic nature and the spiritist oftentimes would be growing out of the fact that Ephesus was the place of the temple of the goddess Artemis. That temple was said to have been so large that it could hold 50,000 people, it would be equivalent to what we would consider today as a stadium. The temple in its magnificent splendor had a huge influence on the spiritual nature of the city because everybody in the city was aware of the dark forces that were at work there and many people were afraid of them. There were magical and demonic powers that were at work in the city of Ephesus which was evidenced by the story that we read in Acts 19 of the seven sons of this Jewish uh, uh, priest named Sceva. His sons having grown up in the atmosphere of a spirit alive, Ephesus, and not every spirit is a godly spirit, but they begin to see that the believers were using the name of Jesus Christ and that people were being delivered from demonic powers by the power of that name, and so they being raised in an atmosphere of thinking, hey, maybe this is like a magic spell, begin to go around. And they were saying, in the name of Jesus Christ, just like Paul, we command that you come out, because it was the culture that they lived in. And then in the middle of that, they begin to recognize that the name of Jesus is different than any other spiritual power as the demon took them to task and literally beat the tar out of them, ripped their clothes off, and they ran out of that house, all seven brothers, naked and bleeding, and suddenly the city of Ephesus stood up and took notice. There's something different about the spirit of Jesus than there is the spirit of the demons that have been around. Suddenly lives were being transformed by the gospel in Ephesus. Ephesus. And in these lives, there was a radical shift that was taking place as people were leaving darkness and entering into the light of Jesus Christ. And that is why I read this morning from Acts 19, because there are two little verses in that, in that chapter, but it says a lot to us when it says this. Many of those who believed now came and openly confessed what they had done. A number who had practiced sorcery brought their scrolls together and burned them publicly. And when they calculated the value of the scrolls, the total came to 50,000 drachmas. So Luke is expressing to us in Acts what the nature of the city was, of Ephesus was like. And he was telling us that there had been those that had been practicing these magical, de- uh, demonic, sorcery arts that having encountered Jesus, their lives were changed. And so they brought their books and they brought their scrolls and they brought their, their magic potions and, and their spells, which were worth significant money. And they brought them to the public square and they publicly burned them in front of everybody. Everybody. So the community of Ephesus is looking on, and people that are involved in all of these different spiritual natures are recognizing that these individuals who have encountered Jesus are different. To give you an idea of the power and the the value of what was taking place, a drachma was a silver coin that would have been equal to one day's wage. And so when the scripture tells us that 50,000 drachmas worth of sorcery material was burned that day, that would be the equivalent today of a $6 million bonfire. Nobody was in any doubt that they had now moved from where they once were and they are now living in Christ Jesus, changed by the power of His light. And Paul is pointing out to them when he stated to them in Ephesians 5.8, For you were once darkness but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of the light. I love the way Paul puts this. It's not that they had been living in darkness and now we're living in light. It's that you were once darkness. And now as a result of what Jesus did in your life, you are now light. There had been a change in their nature and who they were. And it's as if these Ephesian believers lit up Ephesus with this great bonfire and it was a a beautiful picture of the change that happened as through Jesus Christ they were brought out of spiritual darkness and stepped into the light of his glory. We look at this and say, what does this mean to them? Does that mean that these Ephesian believers were now having stepped from darkness into the light that from this moment forward that their life would be filled with peace and tranquility? Absolutely not. Because far from being moved from the realm of a battle when they came to Christ, they were placed now in the very center of the conflict zone. And everyone who is transferred by grace into the kingdom of light and becomes a citizen of Christ's kingdom is caught up in this cosmic conflict of eternal significance. The battleground that we are considering here in Ephesians 6 is the battleground of eternal matters. And these matters are being worked out in everyday life that we live here. The way that we know that this battleground is affecting each of us and and works within the way that we live is the way that Paul wrote to the Ephesians. And you can see the topic that he wrote in the end of Ephesians 5 and the beginning of Ephesians 6 because He's addressing the areas where our spiritual battles most often occur when he says this. He speaks in the area of marriage. He says it will take place in the relationship between a husband and wife, and so he gives instruction. He talks then about family life in the relationship between parents and children. And then he talks of the workplace, the relationship between the employer and the employee. And so what he is actually saying here is you will have noticed that this scheme of the devil is one to destroy and disrupt. And it's not taking place somewhere out there in the heavenlies. But you will find that it is taking place in the center of your daily existence. And some of you that are listening to me today are saying, I finally understand now why things are so difficult in my life, because I'm living in the center of this battlefield." So for believers, you will say to himself or herself, why is it so hard to be married? Why is it our children do not turn out the way that we had planned? Why is it that work can be such a raging arena of discord and conflict? Why is it so hard to be the church in a contemporary world as as the one in which we live today. And this is not the entire answer, but the answer is not complete without this element. Namely, the reason these things take place is because we are against and fighting against the schemes of the devil. We are fighting the evil one himself. The devil has been unable to prevent us from becoming the church. Of God but seeing that that is the case he's now seeking to do everything in his power to prevent us from living as the children of God let me repeat that and I want you to listen closely to this because this is going to explain a lot for many of you he has been unable to prevent us from becoming God's children but the devil is totally committed to trying to disrupt and destroy what it means for us to live as victorious children of God. And it's for this reason that I spent some time last Sunday trying to warn you of who our adversary is. We have an adversary called the devil, and he's methodical, and he is a vicious schemer. The devil is strategic, he is sinister, he is strong, he is supernatural, and he is spiritual. And from the moment that we choose to follow Jesus as our Lord and claim him as our only Savior, we change sides. We move from the side of darkness and we move into light. And the moment that we make that decision and our nature changes as a result of Christ within us bringing us as people into light, it infuriates Satan. Because when Jesus saves you, In this war, Satan is after two things and he loses both of them when you yield your life to Jesus Christ. Number one, he's after God's glory. And number two, he's after your worship. And so the moment that you decide that you will become a follower of Jesus, he loses that ability to gain either of those in your life. And from that moment on, you step into the center of battleground. And he is fighting in an attempt to take away your integrity and your purity. He's attempting to rob you of your peace and tranquility. He works to cast doubt on your living faith. And ultimately, he is attacking your spiritual sanity by attacking your mind and your intellect and the thoughts of every believer. But knowing Satan's plans and Satan's schemes, God provides his armor to you to put on so that you can take your stand against this hideous enemy. And all of this is happening because Jesus came to destroy the works of the enemy. In 1 John chapter 3, verse 8, the scripture says, the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. So the powers of darkness are defeated. They are not yet finally destroyed, but they are defeated. And the reason that Christ came was to destroy the works of the devil. And the last enemy to be destroyed is death. It's clearly not destroyed yet because people keep dying. But the victory is absolutely assured. And although the evil one and his demons are still trying to play the game and are still working to try to find a solution to all of this, they cannot affect the outcome. There is victory in Jesus. And somebody needs to say that to yourself today, just to be built up in your spirit. That is the position of the believer. And it is a wonderful thing when that finally dawns on us that we are in the middle of a war that has already been won and that we are victorious and the final vestiges of evil is just trying to frustrate us in this. When I was a little boy, I grew up in the church and the songs that we sang were from the hymn book and there was a a song that I remember singing and I I do remember it coming to a place in my life where the, the message of that song really began to dawn on me. The words of it, many of you will know, says I heard an old, old story, how a savior came from glory, how he gave his life on Calvary to save a wretch like me. I heard about his groaning, of his precious blood's atoning. Then I repented of my sins and won the victory Oh, victory in Jesus, my savior forever. He sought me and he bought me with his redeeming blood. He loved me ere I knew him and all my love is due him. He plunged me to victory beneath the cleansing flood. The second verse says, I heard about his healing, of his cleansing power revealing how he made the lame to walk again and caused the blind to see. And then I cried, dear Jesus, come and heal my broken spirit. And somehow Jesus came and brought to me the victory. Somebody here today needs to say that prayer. Dear Jesus, come and heal my broken spirit. I'm in the middle of this battle and I need your healing power and your victorious power to come and be at work within me. Now, given the fact of Christ's victory, it is vital that we pay attention to the imperatives that Paul provides. The first one of these is very straightforward. He says, be strong, be strong. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. If you've followed any of Paul's writing, you know that this is routine for Paul. Remember when he writes to Timothy in in Colossians chapter 111, he tells him, be strengthened with all power according to His glorious might. He is reminding Timothy, of who is acutely aware of his own weaknesses, that the strength is found in the Lord. In the same way, he writes to these Ephesians, but he is not telling them to just do your best. He's not telling them to give it your all. You know, just stand up and, and, and give it everything you've got. He is telling them and in reminding them that their strength comes from their position of being in Christ. So be strong in Christ, he is saying to them. This is honestly a message that is vastly different than many that we hear today around us. Many people are reading different books to, to help them cope with the issues of the day. And I know that some of you that are listening to me today may not yet be in a relationship with Christ and as such you've been studying and you've been trying to find tools and techniques that will help you overcome in some of these things and there are things that you may read that may sound like this and tell me how this fits with Ephesians six ten. believe in yourself have faith in your abilities without a humble but reasonable confidence in your own powers you cannot be successful or happy. Now, some people say, well, that kind of sounds like Scripture. Actually, it was Norman Vincent Peale in his book, That is the Power of Positive Thinking. Unfortunately, that passes for Christianity in many places. That you come in and you are encouraged to feel better about yourself. That you are encouraged to engage with yourself and find your real self and so on. And and you know that when you finally get to that place where you discover your real self and you do it in the presence of Jesus, you don't feel amazingly powerful like the world says that you might. But when we come to our real self, we find that we are desperately wanting. But that is not what Paul is saying. You see, Paul has already laid the foundation and that is why he wrote at the beginning of chapter one and he prayed for them and he said, here's my prayer for you. I pray that the eyes of your understanding might be enlightened so that they would know something of the immeasurable greatness of God's power. He didn't mention anything about them that they would discover the amazing greatness of their own will or that they would be able to find something within themselves to stand up and face all that the world throws at them on their own. He said, no. The difference is that when we know Christ, we stand in His immeasurable greatness. He is the provider of all of those things. In other words, he said... I want you to have an understanding of what is yours already in Christ Jesus. And he wants them to understand. I I, I love this term. I heard it used by Alistair Beggs. He said, the what is-ness of Christ's power. When When I heard that, I thought, you know, so many times we live in a what if world. You know, what if this happens? Or what if that goes wrong? Or what will we do if this happens? But when we are walking in Christ, there is a what isness about the power of God within our life. He says, be sure that you find strength in God alone. And, and we look at this and say, well, how do we apply this? Think of meant, think of what that meant to those Ephesian believers who received this exhortation that their strength is now in Christ alone, living in the context of a very spiritual demonic city. And suddenly, as they were transformed by the power of Jesus Christ, they suddenly came to realize they no longer were in the mainstream. The people that they used to practice magic with are now trying to influence them to continue in their old ways of life. And and some of them would probably say, listen, you don't have to change completely because you know the Lord. Why don't you just Add a little bit of that to it and you can still remain with the crowd and still have the old friends and still do the things that you used to do. This really came to hit me when I was on a trip in India speaking a number of years ago and I was holding some services and I was at the airport in Calcutta getting ready to fly out and there was a businessman, a Hindu businessman that sat down next to me and he said, I am fluent in English and I don't have very many opportunities to speak to somebody. Can we talk for a while? And So he and I engaged in conversation and he asked me why I was there. And I I told him that I'm here because I've been speaking in various churches, telling people about the good news of Jesus Christ. And I shared with him a little bit about the deity of Jesus, his, his sinless life, his substitutionary work on the cross, how he came to remove our sins and grant to us his righteousness apart from works, that there was nothing that we could do to earn it. And after a conversation that went on for about an hour, he looked at me as his flight was called and he goes, you are the first Christian that I've ever had a conversation with. And as he walked away, he looked at me and he goes, you know, you've given me enough to think about. I might have to add Jesus to my God list. And he got on the plane. And I remember thinking the failure that I felt that how could I have not have expressed to him that Jesus is the only God and God. Now we look at this in Ephesus and we begin to recognize that this would be the culture there as well. And, and so the Ephesian believers are being influenced by those in their community saying, just don't go wild with Jesus, just add him already to what you're already doing. And I believe that this is the struggle that many are having today. One of the great weapons of the evil schemer is that since he can't prevent you from submitting your life to Jesus Christ, is he will try to ask you to mix in a lot of your old habits and a lot of your old lifestyles, and tells you that since there's a piece of Jesus in there, you're all right, and everything will be all right in that. And he whispers to you that you really don't want to be out of the mainstream of society's thoughts. You really don't want to be out of the mainstream of society's practice, and you really don't want to miss out on the power of the crowd. And as you begin to think about that, does that not remind you a little bit about the prophets of Baal and Elijah. On the one side, you have all of these prophets. They're exciting and they're dramatic and they're making a huge scene and gathering a huge crowd around them and they're screaming and hollering and and, and causing a big fuss. And then on the other side, you have one character with a bucket of water. And as you look at that and the world looks on and says, it has got to be on that side where the impact lies. It has got to be with the crowd that the power resides. And they look at the prophet and say, what are you doing? What are you trying to prove? Isn't that what your friends are saying to you? Those that do not understand and do not know your Savior. Aren't they saying to you, what are you doing? You're so smart. And you're trying to tell me that you're buying into all of this Jesus stuff that you're selling out, that you're, you're burning the old lifestyle and everything, and, and you're setting a flame to that so that you could wholeheartedly give your heart to him? I don't understand it. Why don't you fight against that and join the crowd again? And You know what this is? This is our modern-day battleground. This is where we are to fight our battles. And Paul says to us, be strong. We say, but I'm not strong. And he says, that's right. Joshua, the Lord said, you're taking over from Moses. And he says, I will not leave you nor forsake you. You be strong and courageous. I love how God ties the directive to be strong and courageous to his abiding presence. And this is important for us today. The Lord is not telling you to be strong in your own strength. He's saying, You be strong because you're wearing the armor of God that I have provided for you. It is my design and as a result of that, I am with you in the armor and I am standing with you, protecting you and fighting with you. So you be strong because you're not alone in this. Hebrews 13 at the end of verse 5 and into verse 6 says, Never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. So we say with confidence... The Lord is my helper, I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? You see, we are strengthened by his might and strengthened by his grace and that grace is made clear to us in the gospel, knowing that God loves me, knowing that he forgives me, knowing he helps me and he comforts me and he enables me and he secures me and not on account of my merit, but entirely on account of His mercy. There is strength in the grace of God. So believer, be strong in the power of His might. The next imperative that is spoken to us is to stand firm. This picture of standing is pretty straightforward. It says, put on the armor of God. And then in verse 11, it says that you may be able to stand. In verse 13, it says that you may be able to withstand. And then in verse 14, that when you have done everything, you will be standing firm. Years ago, back in the 1960s, Watchman Nee wrote a book, and it was called Sit, Walk, and Stand. And it was really his reflections on the book of Ephesians. And in the first section of Sit, he was describing the believer's position in Christ, that we will be raised with him and sit with him in heavenly places with Christ Jesus. The second section of his book was under the heading of walk, and he was tackling in that the ongoing aspect of what it looks like to work out our salvation on a day-by-day basis in, in this engagement with a world that does not know and does not appreciate Christ within us. And then he gets to that section of stand, and he said, this section is our attitude toward the enemy. How are we going to stand? How are we going to make sure that we can withstand these attacks And the answer is by taking and putting on the whole armor of God. We rest in what He provides, then we do what He requires. He provides what we need, we obey and engage. We work out what God has provided for us to work in. And so let me conclude this message with just a couple of comments. It's important that we note here that Paul is writing in the plural because honestly, When we are alone in our devotions and we read Ephesians 6 and we're talking about putting on the whole armor of God, just about every one of us pictures a lone soldier standing in the middle of a field all by themselves. And they're putting and they're struggling to put on the armor and they feel as if they are surrounded by an enemy onslaught and we we feel as if we're all alone. One soldier, one armor, one sword about to face an army. But Paul, the way that he wrote this, is saying to us that you are part of the most well-equipped army in the history of the universe. We stand together as brothers and sisters in Christ, fully protected, fully armed, and as we are fully armed, we can then stand against the enemy. We can withstand the attack of the enemy and we can stand firm in victory over the enemy that has been won for us in Christ Jesus. He's saying to his readers, That we can stand safe and secure in the victory that has already been accomplished for us on the cross. For those of you that may struggle with that that mindset or that terminology, let let me apply it to a story that you may be familiar with. Think about it in these terms. Remember, when David went out to fight Goliath, David kills him and chops off his head, And the Philistine army can't believe that their champion is dead. And the Bible says they turn and they all start running off, running for their lives. And right behind David comes all of the soldiers of Israel and they're yelling, we won, we won. And somebody says, "We, we won, we won? No, he won, he won. And then they begin to yell, yes, but we share in the victory. Today I can declare to you, Christ won. Christ won and we share in his victory therefore the exhortation to be strong or to stand firm is not an exhortation that induces despair in us but one in which God has provided everything necessary to be victorious. D.E. Host who followed Hudson Taylor as the director of the China Inland Mission said on one occasion I would never appoint a man or a woman to the mission field unless they learn first to wrestle with the devil. Because if they do not wrestle with the devil, they will wrestle with each other. You show me a disunified church, and I will show you a church that has lost sight of the true enemy. You tell me that your biggest battle in your house is with your husband or your wife. You say that my biggest battle and struggle is with my children. Some of you children are saying, my biggest struggle is with my mom and my dad, and I'm here to tell you today, you are wrong. You've been fighting the wrong enemy. Paul tells us that we need to keep our eyes alert so that we can be aware of what's going on, standing in the full armor of God, so that we can be strong and we can stand firm. Father, I pray, Right now, I know that there are people that are listening to me right now that have tears running out of their eyes because they are in the middle of the battle and they, they have not been aware that they've been fighting the wrong enemy. There's been yelling going on in homes and children and parents screaming back and forth and today you have focused them again that even in Christian homes we cannot take our eyes off the fact that Satan is our real enemy, working so hard to, to sow discord and disunity in churches and in families. And I pray today, God, that you would help us to come to an understanding that, yes, we are in the middle of a war, but so many times it plays itself out in our marriages, in our homes, and our workplaces. That's the battlefield in which we live as well as the world. So, God, today would you bring to us an understanding that you provided everything we need so that at the end of it all, we will be strong and we will stand firm.